Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. My name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of humor seriously by Jennifer Acker and Naomi Bagdonas, why humor is a superpower at work and at life. Everyone loves a laugh, whether we're watching funny movies, listening to entertaining podcasts, going to comedy festivals, watching stand-up or improv, but that's kind of in our personal life. In our professional life, we kind of think there's a lot less room for jokes. We think that the workplace should be a lot more serious if we want to be productive and effective. So, a lot of the time, we think it doesn't apply to the workplaces. We think it's something that just stands in the way of the work, all the humor and the fun and the joy and all that sort of stuff. But what they've found, the authors, it's actually something that can help you become more productive and effective in your work. Humor at work can deepen relationships. It can make people more effective, more joyful at work and fundamentally transform companies from somewhere that it's just all serious into something that's more fun and enjoyable. So, in this book, we're going to learn about how we can apply humor at work. So, blending the behavioral science of humor with principles of comedy and applying them in a way that would actually be very useful in your business and your work. Humor is a lot like a muscle. It atrophies without regular use. But unfortunately, you're a lot like everybody where you've noticed that everyone around you has lost their humor skills uh, through atrophy and, and lack of use. And you might have even noticed that within yourself as well. The average four-year-old laughs as many as 300 times per day and the average 40-year-old, by comparison, laughs 300 times every two and a half months. Jesus. That's a a shocking statistic. I don't know who's been doing that study. That's (laughs) That's a long time to track someone's laughs, isn't it? Just to walk around and follow someone and just say, oh, tick, that's a laugh. Maybe they just did one day and extrapolated that out. But uh, even (laughs) still, it's like like what a at least a 100x difference from a four-year-old to a 40-year-old. Yeah, well, when we grow up in parentheses and we enter the workforce, we suddenly become serious and important people, so we think. So, we trade in this laughter we had as kids and uh, all that fun for ties and pantsuits. Before long, we kind of lose all sense of levity. We get uh, lost in this sea of bottom lines, slide decks, mind-numbing conference calls, monthly reports, all of our sense of play is repressed by a dizzying, complex and dynamic professional environment full of social landmines. So, you kind of think rather than take a risk, it's better to just play it safe. Well, it's probably the norm. I think those really sterile sort of corporate cultures where everyone's just so measured and professional and you go to work each day and you leave your sense of humor, uh, you know, for after work, before work and on for the weekends. Yeah, we think we need to trade in the fun for like professionalism and, and seriousness and that's the thing that's going to make it successful. And uh, the authors, Naomi and Jennifer, they actually found, they teach this course called Humor Serious Business at Stanford's Graduate School of Business and they say they found a whole bunch of uh, myths that people think these are the reasons why they aren't funny at work but really they're not true at all. One myth is a serious business myth and this is where a large portion of a survey respondents reported believing that humor simply was just no place in serious work, right? Like early in our careers, this myth often stems from this insecurity about our lack of experience. Like when you go in there on day one as a grad, you're not going to be cracking gags, probably fair <laughs> enough, um, but you think that's probably the path you need to take to become successful. Yeah, you think that we need to stay serious because we don't know anything, so we can't take a risk and make a joke. But then you soon realize that actually nobody really knows anything. It's not just your lack of experience, but we're thinking that our humor and our gags are going to actually detract from our credibility and it's going to lead to, if we're not serious, then we're not going to be taken seriously. One survey of executive leaders found at the Robert Half Institute, sounds a lot like Robert Harvey, that one, um, 
Shout out to St Kilda fans. We found that 98% of people reported that they preferred a colleague with a sense of humor. So 98%. I don't know who the 2% is. But, <laughs> and they found that 84% of people believe that those with a sense of humor and could crack a few gags and laugh along, they actually do better work. We'll throw in a few more stats. They said that if, uh, if you compared a, a handful of humorous qualities to someone who didn't have those, the humorous person was seen as 15% more competent, 11% more confident, and 37% in higher status. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, anecdotally as well. Another myth is the failure myth. We think uh, this is very common amongst everyone. You've got this deep paralyzing fear that if you crack a few gags in a meeting, it's going to fall flat. <laughs> and for a lot of us out there, it may or may not be the case. But either way, we're just terrified of this awkward silence uh, that might be coming. Yeah, and the reason that this is a myth is that we're looking at failure and humor wrong. They say that getting a laugh doesn't really necessarily mean a win and like hearing crickets doesn't necessarily mean a loss. They said that actually the difference between good humor and bad humor is not whether people laugh or not, it's whether people found it appropriate or not. So, if you make an inappropriate gag in the workplace that gets a laugh, that's actually a loss. Mm. If you make an appropriate gag that maybe gets a few kind chuckles, that's actually a win. Yeah, I said a gag yesterday in a meeting with a bunch of people. It was a shocking gag. It was a really weak kind of dad joke kind of thing, but um, just testing this out and it, yeah, it worked. It kind of it was a shit joke, but um, it, it didn't make me look like an idiot. I probably looked like this jovial bit of character vibe going on. Yeah, exactly. They say that the worst thing you can do is not to get no laughs. The worst thing you can do is you know inadvertently crossing the line, making a joke too personal, making a joke that's a bit too much of an attack, making a gag at the wrong moment or with the wrong target. They're the things that can hurt your reputation. But sometimes crickets is not a bad thing. People might, even though they don't actually let out a chuckle, they might be thinking, oh, that was not a bad gag. Ha ha, he's a very funny person. Yeah, you got a bit of levity <laughs> about you. Eh? The third myth is a uh, bit of a segue, the being funny myth. And this is the idea that in order to use humor and levity in the workplace, you've got to be funny. You've got to be mm. born with it. Seems logical. Um, you know, you think that to have humor means that you have to have sharp wit and have the killer timing of a Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle. We might have a few colleagues who just got this wild wit that you think you're never going to get. But actually being funny and having a sense of humor are two very different things. Being funny, of course, means you're at the center of attention, you're making the gags, you're getting the laughs. That's one part of it. But you can just as easily show your own sense of humor through other ways. And that might be something as simple as just like playing along, laughing along, not actually making the jokes, but adding on to somebody else's joke. So you don't actually have to be funny and crack gags and be like a stand-up comedian in order to show off your sense of humor. Yeah, that's it. It's like the broader net of like just having a sense of humor. You don't. Mm. You just need to have that sort of lightness about you. And again, studies prove the um, importance of this. So regardless of whether you're seen as funny or not, uh, those with the sense of humor uh, were rated by their subordinates as 23% more respected, 25% more pleasant to work with, and 17% friendlier. There you go. And that's all That's all you need is just to basically laugh along with, at someone else's joke and you can get all of those benefits. Another myth is the born with it myth. And of course, if you listen to this podcast long enough, the fixed mindset, the growth mindset, if you've got the fixed mindset and you think, I'm just not funny, I wasn't born with it, obviously, that's a myth that can hold you back. So even the authors here, five years ago, for example, Jennifer, when she was getting into just learning comedy for the first time, just doing a few courses in stand-up and doing a bit of improv, um, she said at the time she was having a family meal and someone asked at the dinner table, uh, who is the funniest in our family? And there was an awkward silence. 
And uh, the, the daughter in the family responded, well, dad is the funniest in our family, then Cooper, then Dev, then me, then our dog, Mackie, is the next funniest. And then after our dog, that's pretty funny by her. And it's you. <laughs> that is pretty funny. And that's the thing. So, obviously, so Jennifer started, her funniness was below that of a dog. And then, you know, five years later, she's writing a book about comedy. So, obviously, she's able to learn those skills. And she says, that, you know, if she can do it, then anybody can do it. Again, you just need to adopt that growth mindset. Maybe it's just a matter of learning a few skills, a few tactics, having your practice, putting yourself out there, you'll get better over time, even if you're not quote unquote born with it. So they were all the myths and why we're not funny anymore and why we treat work as serious and don't really leave much room for humor. Now let's think about how can we actually create a little bit more humor? How can we start to inject a little bit more levity into our work and into our life? So, step one of creating a little humor is to find what's funny. So, here we're just going to look at the basics. So, there's a common misconception that people think humor involves inventing something just out of thin air, just being miraculously funny, just plucking it out of the blue. But in reality, humor actually comes from simply uh, just noticing the little oddities and absurdities in the world around you. You're going to pop up all the time if you're on the lookout for them. Yeah, all the time. Like, one principle is that. Every gag or every piece of humor or levity has some kind of truth to it. Like truth lies at the heart of all humor. And that's really why Seinfeld was so popular. You know, it was called the show about nothing, but it was probably one of the most successful sitcoms of all time. And that's really because the things that they did on the show were just things that everybody could relate to. You know, the low talker, the close talker, the high talker, you know, yada, 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 the list goes on. But all these <laughs> things are things that people recognize and like, oh yeah, I know somebody who's like that. Delivery comes later. I think yada, yada, yada is actually a funny one in it, isn't it? That is. <laughs> that, was part that, of the, the gag? that was part of the joke. That was the, the Easter egg for anyone who's the, the Seinfeld fans. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Might have been the, yeah, we'll get to the delivery part later and you can go again maybe. Or another one, think of South Park. Um, I think there's a bit of, Slight, tiny element of truth in these ones. <laughs> but uh, what is there's like Ben Affleck jerking or was it? Was it uh, yeah, I don't know. If that, was, that was the true one. Was, was that true? No, I don't know. If, <laughs> don't know if that's true. I say in here the, the, the election between the turd sandwich and the giant douche. It feels like every election. Not literally true. But, <laughs> but there's a bit of truth there. It feels like they're your two options in every election. Uh, I think a lot of people could probably... In the US, Biden or Trump might, some <laughs> yeah. people, say you got a uh, turd sandwich and a giant douche, quite literally in that sense. <laughs> so another principle is that uh, in delivering the humor and the basics is that all humor contains an element of surprise and misdirection. So scientists call this the incongruity resolution theory, which is a bit of a mouthful, which is just a real unfunny way of saying <laughs> that humor comes from the difference between what we expect to happen and what actually happens. Yeah, we think that the joke's going to go in one direction, but then the punchline unexpectedly pivots to Backstreet Boys. <laughs> it was a bit of a weak gag. Obviously, you think we're going to say, you know, the setup, the in, the congruity, when we say the joke leads in one direction, you'd think we'd say, but the punchline goes in another direction, but instead we threw a bit of uh, misdirection there. We pivoted from Jonesy's favorite 2000s boy band to Jonesy's favorite 90s boy band. Got the first part right. I actually did like the Backstreet Boys back in the day. Uh, so what we need to do is notice the differences when we're going around. Um, you can look for the juxtapositions, the contradictions, the contrasts. Uh, if you're a high-powered CEO at the work, responsible for a million-dollar budget and hundreds of employees, but on the weekend, you're basically a taxi driver for your teenage daughters. I mean, that's a juxtaposition and it's uh, got that human element as well for 
uh, your employees. Yeah, definitely. The Batuta Advocate loves whipping out these, which is, uh, I guess, Australia's version of like the Onion in the US, like the uh, the satirical news outlet. Like they say, you know, one gag was or one headline was a woman with four social media accounts, iCloud storage, and six streaming apps says QR codes are a little sus. And so, obviously, I think that you know you don't really tracked everywhere, but really you're willing to track yourself with all those different accounts. So obviously, that the Batuta's got some great ones about that juxtaposing somebody who doesn't want to be tracked with somebody who's willingly handing over all their personal data anyway. Yeah, I like it. They've they've also got a lot of just the element of truth, which they're pointing out. Like there's one here, local bloke out on the road uh, for work treats all of his mates to a phone call about nothing. Then you can think about that person as you sit out on the road for work. Just, <laughs> just well, you're just sitting at home with your, <laughs> just shaking your head going, why are you calling me, mate? It's 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. Another way to find some funny stuff is just notice the things that you think or the things that you feel. Comedian Michelle Wolf, she had a, she had a funny thing. She says that like, she was jogging every day, but she would kind of just realize one day that it was completely useless. She says, I run every day. I have no idea what I'm doing it for. I'm not really physically gaining any skills. I'm not training for a marathon. Like She says, the only way jogging is ever going to help me in life is if at some point someone tries to rob me by chasing me very, very slowly for three to five miles. <laughs> and so so that, that's, you know, it's, it's not a hilarious joke, but it's just like a funny thing that she noticed that, that she thought one day that people give you a little chuckle. Yeah, it is. And we don't need to be tearing the house down like Chris Rock with the, the gags we're whipping out in the work context. Okay, so part one, finding the funny. Part two, forming the funny. So once you've found something that's a little bit odd, a little bit true and a little bit um, incongruous or that mouthful of a scientific term I forgot about earlier, um, most strokes need some sort of form and a lot of it is just set up then punchline. The setup is typically the observation of truth and the punchline flips what the expectations are and causes the misdirection and it surprises the audience a little bit and making them giggle. Yeah, that's right. There's a, a whole bunch of different things that we can use to improve our funny things. Obviously, we observed and we found something funny. Now, we've got to work out how we can crank it up to actually get a gag out of it. There was one uh, one joke here is like there was a, a simple little pie chart and the pie chart showed that you know 97% of your day is taken up by updates. So that's things like you know giving updates, asking for updates, discussing updates, writing updates, sending updates, presenting updates, and only 3% of your day is actual work. So obviously, there's a bit of exaggeration there, but everyone can relate that you're doing updates all the time and it seems like nothing's actually getting done. It's probably exaggerated to 97%, but you know you get the point. Yeah. If you had said, oh man, 10% of my day is about updates, giving updates, sharing updates, that's not really that funny. But yeah, when you yeah. crank it up to 97 that, then it becomes oh, funny. You need salt and pepper. You need a lot of salt and pepper on these to, for it to start to work. You can use specifics so rather than exaggerate, go very narrow and specific. So uh, Jimmy Fallon, he once had a gag. British researchers are warning that one-fifth of the world's plant species are at risk of extinction. Even worse, kale is expected to survive. Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad. I tried to do a bit of delivery there as well. <laughs> I think there's room for improvement on the delivery, but okay. if you had said even worse, vegetables are expected to survive, that's not that funny. Yeah, but when kale. you say that kale is expected to survive, like having that one very specific situation, that's a hell of a lot funnier. Or if you say like, you know, oh, my computer's running so slow today, it's running like an old computer, that's not funny at all. But if you say my computer's running so slow today, it's like it's running on Windows 98, just like that one, making it specific rather than just a general gag makes it a lot funnier. I like it. Another one we can borrow or steal is following the rule of three. And a lot of comedians talk about this. If you've ever done a stand-up comedy workshop, it's probably the easiest tactic to use. And this is where you've really got the normal, normal twist idea. So the first example is the setup. 
The second example confirms some sort of pattern and sends their braiding down a specific pass. And then you throw in something completely unexpected that sort of fits and it's like adds to the punchline combo. May as well whip out a few a few examples here. Amy Schumer, she won one of her sets that she opened up. She says, oh, it's been a fantastic year for me. I've, I've had a really successful year. I've become very rich, very famous, and very humble. Obviously, you'd think she might say, you know, very popular or very happy, like if it was continuing down that line. But the very humble, that's the mm. twist there that makes it makes it a little bit funny. Yeah, I think uh, we probably need to get to part three because these are pretty funny people. And when they deliver these gags, I'm sure they had people in, in, <laughs> in stitches. But uh, yeah, it's a bit different when you're someone. <laughs> in the, it's all about delivery, isn't it, at the end of the day? And uh, that's part three, which is what we need to figure out how to do. Because 10% of the gag has been done in the crafting and finding and 90% of the value comes in the delivery. So some important tips for a strong delivery is you've got to pause before the punchline. You've got to draw people in a little bit. You've got to let their, their brain play and, and try to work out what's coming next before you can really give them that punchline. Let me try a different one. Let's use Chris Rock's rule of three. Oof. He says, there are only three things women need in life, food, water, and compliments. Is that a good pause? It- <laughs> It's a good pause. You're up against it because I've already actually read the jokes and they're right in front of me. I know the punchline's coming. So we don't have an audience as well. We need we an, audience an audience to, to laugh along with us. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> so yeah, pausing before the punchline, I think we can get better at that. Dialing up the drama so you can probably get more emotional there, Ash Um You can repeat the funny lines. Do you want to give that, give that same gag again but with, <sighs> the, with the dialing up the drama? No. Nah, we'll or pick a different one. We'll pick a different we'll one with we'll, more We'll bring with more it up drama. later. And, um, and then I think the big one is just land with confidence. If you're like at the, at the end kind of tweaking and mm. you're just a bit, bit nervous about it, you just got to go bang and um, be, be confident with your humor you're trying to, <laughs> the you're trying to throw out. Yeah, you I've don't. got one for if, you. If, here, it just like, if it just like trails off at the end, you're like you half commit to the punchline, but you're holding back a bit, there's no way you're going to get a laugh. If you give it with a little bit of confidence, a little bit of strength, at the very least, people will, will give that a bit of a gag. I've got a gag here for you. So the next tip is um, using callbacks. Now, I've, uh, I've, in our stand up comedy, this is what I did at the start of my set and it kind of worked. Don't know about this context, actually. You've heard <laughs> this gag as well. But uh, I got up and said, I've had a really tough week, you know. I found out my grandfather's got Alzheimer's. They say it's hereditary. <laughs> that was the gag. Anyway, at the very end of the, the comedy set, I came back and said that exact line as my very last line. So it was a callback to what I said earlier. Kind of worked with a full room. Um, actually, you didn't really give me much there. But no, I, thought, I thought it was good. Yeah, it would make sense. Maybe we'll have to do it at the very end as, a, as another callback. That might be even funnier. Okay, so not every day you go on a stand-up comedy set where you're trying to whip out gags. Different sort of practical moments that pop up where you can inject a little bit of humor. As I said, it's not, it's not the big stand-up kind of comedy routines that are going to bring the house down you need to do. Like I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to we got to think about how can we actually inject some of this in our normal workday. Uh, you probably don't want to be whipping out the full stand up comedy routine at every single meeting. It'd be weird to come out with a, <laughs> a gag at the start of the meeting. <laughs> it would be very weird. So we got to find some other ways where we can inject this. Uh, they say one place. The mo- probably one of the most boring places of any workday is the email inbox. But there's plenty of things you can do to spice up your email. So. You know, one thing could be to spice up your sign-offs rather than just some old kind regards or I just say thanks, Adam. That's that's it. That's a 
pretty much as boring as you can it's get. It's boring, it's batshit, isn't it? There's some, there's some things you can do to to spice it up. Like say if you're asking for a favor, rather than just saying thanks in advance, which is pretty like passive aggressive, I kind of hate those. You might just say, you know, with fingers and toes crossed, Adam. Like it's, it's not the funniest well, thing, but it's a bit different. Yeah? We're not, it's not necessarily funny, it just brings that human element to it, like they yeah. say in the book, and that lightness. So that's yeah, what we're exactly. after. Or if you've got a, I've got a new puppy at the moment and the puppy is barking its head off. So if you're in a meeting and then there's a, a, a team meeting and the dog's been barking and then when you send the notes from the meeting afterwards and you can sign off with still wondering who let the dogs out, Adam. Not, yeah, again, not the funniest, but a bit of a callback, a bit of a lightness, a bit of a gag. Similar thing with your out-of-office emails. So rather than just doing, hello, if there's something important, here's my phone number. <laughs> if not, blah, 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 email this person. That's some pretty boring sort of stuff. You can lighten that up as well. Uh, I remember someone who, uh, very high status for, at a company, is out of office was, go away, I'm at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just so blunt and just different, human, funny. I, like, I got a little chuckle out of it and it signaled high status because- Definitely. Like your graduate's not going to say that. Only no. someone with high status is going to say something like that. The graduate would give you three paragraphs of, of, you know, here's what you can do and then I'll be back on, this is the date I'll be back or apply to you yeah, exactly Even though I'm time. overseas, yeah. I'm always available <laughs> yeah. because I'm, uh, I'm yeah, so good right. at my job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, one other important area for injecting a little bit of humor or a bit of lightness, a bit of levity is sometimes when the hard things pop up. Um, and uh, you don't want to obviously just make a joke and, and take the all seriousness out of it. But uh, if you can lighten the mood a bit, it can just break that tension and break that ice. I had one recently in our sort of internal system. We've got tasks and tickets and a Gantt chart and you've got timelines. And uh, the plan is really to have like a nice flow where you've got things spaced out over weeks. Sometimes if I miss a few deadlines and move the tickets back and it seems like every deadline's falling on the same day, then one of the clients said, oh, this is looking like Mount Everest here. The, the cliff is so steep, you've got to deliver everything at the same time, which is, you know, it's it's kind of a bit funny. He used a bit of lightness himself. And then afterwards, then we said, okay, okay, let's push a few things back. Let's bring a few things forward. Then I was able to make a call back and I said, oh, this is looking a little bit better. Now we're only at Mount Kilimanjaro. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> so again, so it's just, you know, building, building on his lightness, a bit of a callback. Still, it was like an awkward, tense situation because we'd missed a couple of deadlines, but a few gags back and forth were able to lighten the whole mood. Well, that's it. Those moments, they just calling out for a bit of lightness to get to get rid of the weights and the tension in the room can be happened with um, persuading others as well. Like Sarah Blakely, I think she is a billionaire. So she's an yeah. absolute uh, superstar. So she started Spanx. And at the very start, uh, she had a lot of trouble getting her product into the big retail stores. She's trying to get her foot in the door. So what she did was um, she actually put one shoe into a box and then emailed it to a bunch of not emailed, sent it, <laughs> mailed it to a bunch of stores with a shoe in the box and just said, hey, uh, just Sarah here trying to get a foot in the door. Here's my number. Yeah. <laughs> no one does that. No. no one does that. If uh, you'd actually chuckle probably if that was you and you'd actually send it to the higher up and say, hey, look at this person actually trying to get the foot in the door. Yeah, exactly. If, if you're just getting a barrage of emails and cold calls and someone says, hey, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door, it's not that funny. But if you actually send them a physical shoe, then at least like you can have a bit of a chuckle and it, and it actually worked for her. She got a call from one of the big, big places. She got a Spanx into their store and the rest is history. And it's really important as a leadership trait as well to have this lightness and humor and just go along with it. We've all heard of Eric Schmidt. So he's the CEO of Google probably not seen as the funniest bloke in the world, but he at least knew the importance of humor and this lightness in building a team culture. He wasn't the one cracking the gags and putting everyone in stitches whatsoever, but he was always willing to play along. 
Because one day he walked into an office to find that his team had done a pretty funny prank. They somehow took a small car apart, smuggled it into the office overnight and rebuilt it in his office. That's a big prank. It's a huge <laughs> prank. So one hell of a project to get done. But like some bosses would get pissed off. <laughs> yeah. You can just imagine if you pick the wrong boss that they'd just be, you know, three people would get fired. The whole team would have to stay late that day. There'd be an ongoing investigation into who did it, why they did it. It wouldn't be funny at all. Not at all. But he, he played along because for the next two weeks, he took all of his in-person meetings in the car rather than at his desk. <laughs> so rather than killing the creativity, he vibed along, played along with it and let the fun thrive in the whole culture. Another good one to do is they say turning accidents into folklore. So, if things are tough or if things stuff up and people find a solution, then make the most of that. So, uh, we're going to Ford Smart Mobility Lab here. There was one day the engineers are discussing how this tricky new problem, they want to create something completely innovative and someone said, oh man, this is so hard. This is harder than putting socks on a chicken. And that was just like a little throwaway line, but the people thought, oh, it kind of sounds a bit funny, yeah, putting socks on a chicken. So, what they actually did was they created a prize. So, they said, whoever solves this, they get socks with chickens on them. And then, you know, not that funny, but they've now they've made a thing. Now, it becomes every month, whoever solves the biggest problem, they win the prize and the prize is getting those socks with the chickens on them. So the point of this episode in the book is to remember that humor in life and in work begins with just a very subtle uh, mindset shift. You don't need to become a world-famous comedian with killer stand-up sets to be able to inject a little bit of humor into your workplace and into your life. All you need to do is look closely for an opportunity to just drop in a little spark of levity, just a little tiny nook and cranny, drop in a little gag. You may or may not get a laugh, but everybody's going to be better off for it. Yeah, and have that levity, have a sense of humor. It uh, does signal status. It does uh, signal that you're more competent at your work with a bit of a halo effect. If you've got this lightness and not everything so serious and so heavy, and with that, uh, your business can thrive and your career can thrive also. Mm-hmm.